given a key to fruitfulness. You know, when mankind sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, uh, a lot of things happened, but one of the key things that happened as a result of the fall was that suddenly it became a case of God being on the outside looking in. Through their willful choice against God, Adam and Eve opened the door of sin, and through sin, Satan became the Lord of the world system or the God of the world system. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 12, that through one man, sin came into the world and death, or the reign of death through sin, and death spread to all men because all have sinned. You know, before the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, man enjoyed unbroken fellowship with God in his spirit. You know, God is a spirit and, and, and communed with man as a spiritual being. Their fellowship was spiritual. They enjoyed unbroken communion. And through that unbroken communion, the wisdom, the power, the grace of God flowed unhindered into the spirit of mankind. But because of sin, that fellowship was lost. Death replaced life. Corruption replaced immortality. Even the whole of creation was subjected to the curse of death. Because Adam and Eve were head over God's creation, so when they bowed their knee to the enemy or to Satan, the whole of creation was subjected to the reign of death. And that's why the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 20 that against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse and all of Adam's, um, uh, you know, um, all of his children and grandchildren and the generations of man were subjected to the same curse. Very much in the same way as um, where you are born will determine your kid's citizenship. Isn't that correct? So all of humanity was subjected um, to domination by darkness. And you know, even though it was a tragic and catastrophic thing, it was a legitimate transaction. Mankind, through disobedience had handed over the legitimate rule of the earth and given it to Satan. The dominion that had been given by God was now handed to Satan. Satan was now in charge. Paradise had been lost. Rather than being the sovereign that God had made Adam and Eve to be, they were now slaves. I know we see the truth of this confirmed thousands of years later during Satan's temptation of Jesus. In the book of Luke um, chapter 4 verse 5, we see the second temptation um, that Satan leveled against Jesus. The Bible says in verse 6, uh, and I read the New Living Translation, or let me start from verse 5, it says, Then the devil took Jesus, or took him up, 
and reveals to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And this is what Satan said. He said, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine. He said, the kingdoms and the authority of them, they are mine to give to anyone that I please. I will give it to you if you would only worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You know, one, one thing Jesus didn't say was, you liar. It doesn't belong to you. It was a legitimate temptation because it was true. But of course, we see the operation of the deceiver in there, don't we? He said, just worship me and I will give it to you. Yes, he could give it to him. But you know, if you worship Satan, then you become part of his citizenship. Yeah, it's exactly what he said to Adam and Eve. Just disobey God and you'll be like God. Uh, they didn't realize that he was lying. He was lying to Jesus because as soon as Jesus would worship Satan, then he was bringing himself under Satan's subjection. And through that sin and disobedience, he will be part of Satan's uh, um, uh, citizenship. And as a result, render himself unable to save humanity and all humanity will be lost forever. And he wouldn't give him what he said he will give him. That's exactly what Satan is like. He is a deceiver. He steals, kills, and destroys. But the point I'm making is it was a legitimate temptation because Satan um, is actually the God of this world. But we thank God that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus has loosed humanity from Satan's dominion and everybody, everyone say everybody, everybody who places their faith in Jesus Christ is rescued from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his dear son. Thank God we are free. Jesus said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Hallelujah. And therefore in Christ we are free from Satan's domination. But again, we see that after the fall, as soon as humanity fell, God was now on the outside looking in. He couldn't just step into the earth and sort things out because he had legitimately given. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 115 verse 16 that the heavens, even the highest heavens, belong to God, but the earth he has given to the children of men. So that earth that he had given to the children of men, they had legitimately given it to somebody else, so he couldn't just step in and sort things out. But God, because of his great love for humanity, created a means through which he could legitimately be involved in the lives of human beings. He established covenant. Everyone say he established covenant. You know, there were covenants before the fall, but those covenants changed after the fall, and covenant became the conduit 
or the legitimate means through which God could come in to the lives of human beings. Simply put, a covenant is an agreement between God and man. It had terms and it had benefits. An agreement between God and man, it had terms and it had benefits. And as long as the terms were met, God could work in partnership with man. And that partnership would enable God to legitimately make all his resources available to his covenant partner. As I said earlier, remember, God couldn't just barge in to the earth. I mean, he could because the earth is the Lord's. But you know, it's a little bit like you build a house. It is your house. And you let it out to a tenant and you give them a long lease. And you say, you know, you have this long lease. Um, now, as a tenant, you have rights. Okay, the landlord can't just barge into your house. It will be illegal. But now, imagine that your tenancy agreement allowed you to be able to sublet the property. So you can sublease it. Now, if you sublet the property to somebody that is giving you a horrible time, you can't just kick them out. Are you with me? And the landlord can't just kick them out. Okay, because if the contract allows you to sublet it, then so be it. And that is essentially what Satan did to, or Adam and Eve did to Satan. But rather than subletting it, they actually put him in charge or through their disobedience, he became Lord over the property that God had leased to Adam and Eve. So in order for God to get involved, he had to, as it were, have a marriage. All right? You know, this is my wife, so we are now married, so she can live here. All right? So covenant was a way in which God came into the picture through partnership with humanity. And you know, once you are married to somebody, everything that is yours belongs to them. Everything that is theirs belongs to you. Okay, some people are looking at me like that is a revelation. I know we haven't had um, teaching on marriage in a while. Okay? But equal contribution does not... Um, uh, require equal share. Chanda. Yeah, equal contribution uh, is not required for an equal share. Because once you are married, everything that belongs to you belongs to him. And everything that belongs to him belongs to you. Okay. Now, I don't know why that's a revelation, but I'm feeling that's like a revelation in the house. So God established covenant as a legitimate way he could step in through partnership with humanity. And thereby make his resources legitimately available to human beings. Covenants were always initiated by God because ordinarily, you know, whenever two people enter into covenant with each other, both parties 
had to have something that the other person wanted. So no one in their right minds would approach God with an offer of covenant uh, because everyone knew that um, they didn't have anything that God needed. But God willingly offered covenants to humanity because of his love. And that was the only way he could legitimately help human beings. Or I'll put it in another way. Covenant is how God obligates himself by his grace to meet humanity's need. Covenant is how God obligates himself by his grace to meet the needs of humanity. You know, the Bible says that every word of God is his covenant. Psalm 89 verse 34 says, my covenant I will not break. And I will not alter the words that have come out of my lips. Psalm 138 verse 2 says, God has exalted his word above his name. So his word is his covenant. It is how he obligates himself by his grace to meet the needs of humanity. So God established covenant. And as I said, every covenant had terms. And as long as the terms were met then the door was open for God's grace to come into the lives of human beings. You know, on the side of humanity, in terms of the, the terms of the covenants that God cut with man, every covenant involved worship. Every covenant that God cut with man involved worship. I know worship is an expression of the supremacy of God over your life. The word worship in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word barak, which means to bow. So you are acknowledging the supremacy of God over your life. And that worship of God was demonstrated by obedience to him and the giving of offerings. Worship was demonstrated by obedience to God and through the giving of offerings. Offerings were a declaration and a celebration of their covenant with God and a demonstration of their faith in their God. Offerings were a declaration and celebration of their covenant with God and a demonstration of their faith in their God. And as they kept their side of the covenant, God will actively pour out his grace to that person that he was in covenant with or to that family he was in covenant with or to that nation he was in covenant with. He couldn't just legitimately pour out his grace on everyone except there was a partnership because now the enemy or Satan, the one that steals, kills, and destroys, was the legitimate God of the world system. Now let us look at a few quick demonstrations of this. Look at the book of Genesis chapter 12. 
And this is what God did throughout scripture and still does today. Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. Got a lot of ground to cover but um, I'm going to read quite quickly. Got a quick example of this. It says, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Uh, you'll notice that whenever God approaches somebody with covenant, they don't talk much. It's like, yes, sir, I agree. Uh, I'm, let me cut this covenant very quickly with God just in case he changes his mind. Yeah? Whenever God approached anyone with the offer of covenant, they jumped at it because they understood that covenant obligated the person. Covenant created a partnership. And you know, who doesn't want to be in partnership with God? It's like, uh, are, are, you, are you sure about this? Absolutely. Good. Let's sign quickly. Are you with me? Because as soon as you entered into covenant, God now was your partner and everything he had now belonged to you legitimately. Look at Genesis 15. I'll jump around a little bit here. But you really need to read from verse 7 all the way through to verse 21. Uh, Genesis 15 verse 7. It says, then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know I will inherit it? And he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all to him and cut them in two. Now, now. Now, Pastor Nidus has done a short series on covenant, and she talked about the covenant process. This was like a covenant offering. Everyone say a covenant offering. The offering was the means to an end. You know, notice um, Abraham didn't negotiate about, okay, are you sure I should bring all these things? He just brought them quickly, all right? Because in that covenant offering um, was uh, the, the covenant going to be established. Nobody, you know, the, the, the offering was just... Um, an expression of faith in that covenant. And in this particular case, it, it was actually the covenant process. So Abraham brought all these things. And it says, um, then he brought all these things and cut them down in the middle and placed each piece opposite to the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcass, Abraham drove them away. Um, now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not complete. Then it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch. Now this is the glory of God coming down. God came 
in veiled in a cloud and stepped into the realm of time and God walked through those covenant pieces and swore that surely he will do what he had said in the life of Abraham. So he says, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your descendants I have given this land. From the river of uh, Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenazites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. Hallelujah. So we see God cutting a covenant with Abraham, obligating himself by his grace to bless Abraham and partner with Abraham to bring that blessing into Abraham's life and the earth. So even though Satan was the God of this world, Abraham would prosper. Even though Satan was stealing, killing, and destroying, when it came to Abraham, Abraham was protected, Abraham was provided for because Jehovah was his covenant partner. Covenant was how God used to, to establish a conduit of grace into the earth. Look at Genesis 17 very quickly. Verse 1, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God, uh, and God talking with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of many nations. No longer shall your name be Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings shall come out from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Wow. Notice, Abraham didn't say much. He just said, yes, 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 I agree. Hallelujah. Yes, 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 I agree. So covenants was what God used to come into the earth but he had to come in with, in partnership with humanity because Satan had become the God of the world system. So the Bible is a book of covenants. A book of the covenants that God made with man. Each covenant was a source of blessing for humanity. Each covenant was a source of blessing for humanity. And as I said, once the covenant terms are fulfilled, then that door of grace opens and there is a flow of the resources of God. It is how God comes and stands with humanity. Hallelujah. There are seven covenants in the Bible. There's the Edenic covenant. That was the covenant made in Eden. There was the Adamic covenant, the covenant made with Adam. The Noahic covenant, the covenant made with Noah, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. Now, the first three covenants were universal. 
they were for all humanity. The covenant in Eden, the covenant with Adam, the covenant with Noah were for all of humanity. The covenant with Abraham was with Abraham and his seed. And the Bible makes it clear, we just read, that it was an everlasting, everyone say everlasting. It's an everlasting covenant and the Bible makes it clear in the book of Galatians that you and I are Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. So that means that as far as God is concerned, the Abrahamic covenant applies to us. Uh, are you with me? Okay. So that means that your ancestor Abraham has a, an open agreement with God that has terms in it that you can benefit from if you fulfill the terms of the covenant. As God did it for Abraham, he will do it for you. Because he said, my covenant I will not break nor alter the words that come out of my lips. Then we have the Mosaic Covenant, which was a covenant with Moses and the children of Israel that would have its fulfillment in Christ. We have the Davidic Covenant, the covenant with the house of David. And then we have the New Covenant, which was a covenant between the Father and Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you are in Christ, you are a beneficiary of that covenant. The Bible is a book of covenants. Every word of God is a covenant word. Every word of God is a covenant word. And it is set within the context of one of these seven covenants. So there are seven covenants and every word of God is a covenant word set within the context of one of these seven covenants. Offerings, tithing, and all forms of giving were always done in the context of covenant. God was the one who established the protocol of what to give and how to give. They gave willingly, they gave joyfully because it kept the door of covenant blessing open. No one ever turned down a, the opportunity to be in covenant with God. Giving was always an expression of worship. And worship was always done in the context of covenant. Let me open this up a little bit more. You know, your money is a product of the activities that you have been engaged in. Your money is the result of your effort. It is the result of your time and your energy. In other words, your money is the product of what you have engaged your life in. Your money is important to you. Now, if you come before the Lord of heaven and earth and you offer your money 
in worship, in recognition of the covenant you have with him, you are bringing a product of your life in worship. It is an acceptable means of worship as long as it is an expression of a life that is submitted to him. You can't worship God with your offering and live in rebellion. Now, I want you to get this. God established covenant so he could come into the lives of people. And covenant had terms. And as you saw in the covenant with Abraham, the terms were stacked in man's favor. Because God didn't really need anything from man. Uh, are you with me? But he said, I will do this for you. 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 I will step into your life. I will be your protector, your shield. I will bless you. Now, on man's side, our side of it was to worship him or to obey him because our worship was a demonstration of the fact that he is above us. He is our covenant partner. So our side was to worship him. And in that worship were two things. There's obedience to him. You can't say I'm worshiping. Oh, I worship you. And then you are disobeying him. That's not worship. Yeah? Worship means to bow your life before him. That means that you are following him. You are obeying him. And then also, you are giving of your offerings and your tithes is an, an expression of your faith in that covenant because you are submitting your life in that expression because your money is the product of your life. Uh, are you with me? It has value. But you know, you can't offer your money and not offer your life. And that's why um, it's both. And you know, the, the whole point of this, it was a means to an end because as you did that and you connected with covenant, the door of grace was open and God could legitimately flow into your life. And that's what we want. Hallelujah. That is what we want. That's what we want. Hallelujah. And that's why when you look through scripture, you see that people of understanding, when it came to worshiping God, they worshiped him gratefully and joyfully. When it came to giving, in fact, you think that, you know, they didn't understand what was going on. They were actually giving their money. They always came rejoicing. Whenever the Lord said, you know, I want a free will offering, they gave more than was needed. Because they understood that giving was not, you know, I don't believe. Please let me finish before you tweet it. I don't believe in charitable giving. And uh, when I say charitable giving, what I mean by that is, you know, when, you know what, okay, they are hounding me, so I'll just give it at least it's charity. Yeah? Now, it might not be bad, but that's not covenant giving. Yeah? Giving was always done in, in a recognition of covenant. I am doing something that is expressing my faith in a covenant that is open in a process where God has obligated himself by his grace to me and to my family. So I'm standing in love of God who loved me first by establishing this covenant in the first place. I am giving this 
by faith. I am putting my life into an expression of faith in what he has promised. And therefore, because God is not man that he should lie, through my obedience to him, I am opening the door for his grace to flow unhindered into my life. You know, Saul said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 15, you know, Samuel gave an offering, but he had disobeyed God, and his offering was a way of, you know, trying to get God to wink against his lifestyle and overlook that. Well, Samuel said to him in 1 Samuel 15, 22, New Living Translation says, Samuel replied, what, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Submission is better than the offering of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So in our worship of God and in our activating covenant, our obedience to him and our giving must go hand in hand. Hallelujah. That is how we express our faith in God. As I've said here once before, you know, God is in eternity. And when he inhales our offering, he doesn't just inhale it sequentially. Our whole life is an offering. So what you did yesterday and what you're going to do tomorrow are inhaled at the same time in eternity as your offering today. Chandai. So he inhales our lives as a worship. Hallelujah. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3, Paul speaks about this again. Talking about lives and offerings and how both go hand in hand as a demonstration of worship. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, verse 3, I'm reading the New Living Translation again. It says, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. Everyone say free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. Hallelujah. So God looks beyond the gift and looks at the offering of your life. Paul says they gave properly because their giving was in understanding of covenant. They gave themselves first. Their life was a worship and then they brought their offering. That is an acceptable worship. That is covenant giving. That is the kind of giving that opens the door to grace, which belongs to us. Amen. And that's why we must never give grudgingly or of necessity. Because a grudging gift is not a covenant gift. Hallelujah. A grudging gift is not a covenant gift. It's just a gift. A covenant gift is always begets or always gives birth to giving that is sacrificial, that is joyful, because you are given in the context of an understanding that you are opening the door to a covenant of God's grace into your life. Everybody needs God's grace in their lives. Amen. God will open a door that no man can shut. 
they will shut a door that no man can open. If, if, if the media are the one that raise you up, uh, they can bring you down. But if God exalts you, nobody can bring you down. And he wants to exalt his people. Hallelujah. He wants you to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. That's what he has called you. But he wants that to be in your experience. Hallelujah. He wants you to ride on the high places of the earth. Because the sons of God and the daughters of God have been made for glory. Hallelujah. That is what he wants. But the only way he's going to get it into your life is through covenant. And that covenant has been established. But there is a part that we are meant to play in covenant. Hallelujah. You know, if you don't get more out of your giving than you are putting in, then you haven't discovered covenant giving. If you don't get more out of your giving than what you are putting in, then you, because giving was never meant to be the end in itself. Giving was a means to an end. Hallelujah. It was a means to an end. It was a means through which, in understanding, the grace of God will open and overwhelm your life. With an abundance that the devil cannot handle. Hallelujah. Covenant given. So let us track this process for a few minutes. Look at the book of Genesis chapter 3. Let's track this process. You know the book of Hebrews talks about the fact that there is a rest. That belongs to the people of God. That God is waiting for us to enter into. Hallelujah. There are things that have already been established that are waiting for you to enter into. Satan should not steal, kill, and destroy in your life. Hallelujah. Because covenant protects you from that. Satan should not steal, kill, and destroy in your life. You know, the Bible says that when Egypt was under um, the plagues, the land of Goshen was protected. In this world in which there is darkness and darkness is covering the earth, the Bible says that the glory of God will rise upon you and that light will be seen upon you, even in the midst of, your, of the darkness. Your children will be protected. Your business will be protected because covenant will mount guard over everything that belongs to you. Hallelujah. Let us track this process. It began when God created the earth. And it exists today because now we are in a new covenant. It is still a covenant. Hallelujah. It is still a covenant. It is based on better promises. But through the execution of this covenant, great grace will be experienced in our lives. God is looking for people that will stand on the basis of covenant. Hallelujah. That will stand on the basis of covenant. It's all about covenant. It's all about covenant. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. Genesis 3, verse 20. Let's start from the beginning. And we'll track this this week and next week. I'll read from the New Living Translation. It says, then the man, Adam... Named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God, everyone say the Lord God. 
the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife Eve. The Lord God made clothing for them from animal skins. Now, they are just sins. Now, so here, God is saying to them that I love you. I'll take care of you. You know, these guys had been wrapped up in the glory of God. They didn't know what it was like to be exposed. They didn't know how to live a life outside God's glory. So as soon as they sinned, the glory left, and um, they were exposed and vulnerable. Now God stepped in, and through this act, he was demonstrating that um, he loved them, and he would take care of them. Yeah? But from what we've explained so far, God was now on the outside looking in. He couldn't just step in and take care of them, could he? So this was the beginning. When we read between the lines and we meditate on this, this was the beginning of God establishing a covenant with Adam. We see the Adamic covenant here. Because like with every covenant, the human side is worship through obedience and offering. The God side is divine help and provision. So God came to help them, but he couldn't really help them like that unless it was in the context of covenant. So I believe that God was showing them how covenant works. You see, for there to be animal skin, that means that an animal had to die. Are you with me? There wasn't just skin on the ground somewhere. Yeah? So, in this scenario, we see that there was the death of an animal. For God to help, it had, man had to have caught a covenant with God that was demonstrated by worship and that was expressed in an offering. I believe that this was the first time God taught Adam and Eve how to give an offering. The very first, Adam, uh, the very first animal that was slaughtered and its blood offered was the basis on which God could step in and take from the offering that was given to make a protection, to make a skin for Adam and Eve to be protected with. Are you with me? I believe that in this story, God showed them what an acceptable offering was. God showed them how to, how to cut covenant with him through an acceptable offering of blood. And from that offering, provision came and protection came. Hallelujah. I, I believe that this is the beginning of the covenants of God after the fall. Look at the next chapter. Look at chapter 4. Chapter 4 verse 1, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. And said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tealer of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground 
to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Now, how did they know about offerings? I mean, that's, that's an important question. Where did this, did, did, were they just walking around one day and thought, you know what? I think it's a good idea to give an offering. Really? Yes, what's an offering? Well, something that you just offer to the Lord. I don't believe that's what happened. I don't believe that's what happened. I believe that God had taught their parents, Adam and Eve, about covenant. And their parents had taught them about covenant. Yeah? Because covenant was how the grace was going to flow into their lives. Now we see that even further on. Because verse 5 says, And he, that's the Lord, did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you and you should rule over it. Now, God can't really talk about right and wrong if he has not educated us on right and wrong. He said to Cain, if you do well, if you do the right thing, will it not be accepted? You know what to do, but you are not doing it. And because you are not doing it, sin is lying at the door of your heart. And he wants to take control of your life. But as we engage with God properly in covenant, we protect our lives from the infiltration of darkness into our world. So God rejected Cain's offering, but accepted Abel's because Abel offered a covenant gift while Cain did not. Now, let's look at this. I don't believe that God rejected Cain's offering because it was of the fruit of the ground. And he took Abel's because it was, um, it was sheep. Yeah, because that was their career. That was their job. That's what they did. Um, and they took from that to offer to the Lord. I believe there's a reason why the Lord rejected Cain's and accepted Abel. And it's, I think it's right there. I'm going to read um, verse 3 again. In, um, in the New Living Translation. One was a covenant gift and the other wasn't. Verse 3 says, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift. The best of the firstborn lambs of his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked, he looked dejected. So Abel offered the best of the firstborn lambs of his flock. The best of the firstborn lambs of his flock. As I said, offering is a part of worship. Worship is, is us bowing before God, recognizing his supremacy... And our worship is expressed in our obedience and in our offerings, which express our faith in our covenant God. So look at Abel's offering. Number one, he offered the best. Everyone said the best. That speaks about high value. It is something of high value. He says he offered the best to God. 
Now, when you offer something of high value, it is demonstrating faith. Hallelujah. It is demonstrating what? Faith in God who is above you and is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. It is recognizing or expressing the fact that your giving is in the context of covenant. So number one, he offered the best. Number two, he offered the best of the firstborn. Everyone say the firstborn. Firstborn speaks about priority. It speaks about priority. So the first thing he thought about was, you know, God comes first in my life because he's my covenant partner. So I am going to honor God first. And I'm going to give him my best. I'm celebrating God because his grace is upon my life through his covenant. So firstborn speaks about priority. It speaks about faith. It speaks about the supremacy of God. It's a declaration that you are in covenant with him. He's your provider, your protector, your helper. You trust him with your life and you bring a token of your life in offering to him. God rejected Cain's offering because Cain's offering didn't show value. It did not show priority. It did not show faith. It was just something. Uh, are you with me? It was not a covenant gift. It was not a covenant gift. And as a result of what he did and his refusal to obey God and honor God, that door that God warned him about opened and Satan came into his life and destroyed his life. Covenant could not protect him because he did not worship God with his life. Amen. And you know, this is a common thread in all of scripture. A covenant offering always shows value. It always shows priority and it always shows faith. And in a covenant offering, there is a transaction between you and God. There is a recognition of what is going on. There is somebody on earth activating a covenant that God has already established with humanity. And recognizing the operation of that in their lives. Hallelujah. And it opens the door to grace. You know, grace always comes first. God always blesses us first. But it is our faith that opens the door to grace that has already been provided. Hallelujah. The expression of grace will only be, grace will only be experienced where there is faith. I'll say it again. Grace would only be experienced where faith is demonstrated. Faith doesn't cause God to give. God already gives. Because God is the one that steps down first and offers covenant and gives covenant. But faith is what causes us to experience what God has given. Hallelujah. We see this thread throughout all scripture. Look at the book of Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9. You know a covenant person that gives a covenant offering has a right to stand in the presence of God. You, you know the first time you give an offering should not be the time an offering bu bucket is passed. You need to start at home. You need to start at home. You can take the envelope home. And you stand before God. He is your maker. He is your creator. He's the one that has obligated himself by his grace to you in covenant. You stand before God with your covenant offering. 
and you stand before Jehovah and you declare to him that God, you are my God. You are the maker of the ends of the earth. You are my maker. I belong to you. You, in your word, have obligated yourself to me by your grace. You have approached my father, my great-grandfather Abraham. You have approached Jesus and established this covenant. I am part of this covenant. So I stand before you, almighty God, today. And through my worship, through my obedience to you in my life, through my offering, I activate your grace in my life. I claim the grace of God. The grace that belonged to my father Abraham. The grace that was demonstrated in the life of Isaac. The grace that, that protected Jacob. The grace belongs to me. It is an everlasting covenant. That covenant is open. You said, surely, blessing, I will bless you. Surely, I will protect you. Even in the time of famine, you will have increase. So I call on the God of my father Abraham. There's a transaction that must be enacted between God and man. As a human being, you must activate what has gone before. Hallelujah. A lot of times we give, but they're not covenant gifts. Giving was always in the context of an understanding of covenant. An understanding of covenant. A demand was made on the resources of God. And God makes those resources available freely. Because covenant was his idea in the first place. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor him with your wealth. And with the best part of everything you produce. Then you will feel, he will fill your barns with grain. And your vats will overflow with good wine. Hallelujah. Now the latter part of the verse speaks about grace. What grace effects in your life. Whatever it is he has called you to do. You are meant to walk in abundance. You know, I don't believe that my salary as a pastor should be determined by the offering of the people. I don't believe that. Because I don't work for you, I work for God. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter where he has sent me to. He can send me to a desert where I'm pouring out my life. Uh, and people cannot afford to give. But he will take care of me. He has to. Hallelujah. I don't care what job he has given you. I don't care what calling he has put on your life. Whatever it is that he has placed on your life. If you obey him in it. And you are faithful in it. And you worship him in it. If he has to bring raven. If he has to bring manna. If he has to move heaven and earth. He will fulfill his covenant in your life. Amen. You don't have to steal. You don't have to steal. You are a covenant child. Of a covenant God. And when you activate covenant in your life. The grace of God will flow through. And you will have more than enough. Hallelujah. He says, honor the Lord. Who do you think you are honoring? You're not honoring me. You're not honoring your church. You are honoring Almighty God. He stands before you as you give your offering. Jesus stood over the offering and watched what they gave. Are you honoring me? Are you activating 
covenant? Are you trusting me? Am I God in your life? He said, honor the Lord. You know, when we honor people, honor is manifested respect. <laughs> Are you with me? Can you imagine somebody, you know, who's in bolts, runs, and breaks the record, 100-meter record. And he gets to the podium. And they say, you know, here's Hussein Bolt. He's, uh, he's just broken the record again. And here's a cracker. You know. I don't know what a cracker is. Biscuits. Here's a cracker, Hussein. Well done. So look at them and like, sorry. <laughs> honor is manifested respect. And that's why even in athletics we give gold, silver, and bronze. It's honor. Hallelujah. And we don't just throw the gold at him. Honor speaks about what you give and how you give. Yeah, we, we, we celebrate them. There's music. The important people come out. They are well-dressed. They celebrate them. Uh, and then they offer it. That's honor. It is what you give and it is how you give. You're not meant to bucket plunk. This is an offering before God. This is a covenant offering. You are activating something on your life based on what he has promised you stand before the Lord. Before you come to church, you speak to God and say, God, your hand is upon me. What is happening in my life is important to you. You know who I am. The, the very hairs on my head are numbered. You don't just know how many there are. You know them by number. Hallelujah. What is happening in my life is important to you. Thank you for what you have done. This is a, a, some of what you have blessed me with. So I stand before you, my Father, and I honor you with it. Hallelujah. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Everyone say the best part. You know, my job is just to preach. Hallelujah. I'm not responsible for your obedience. So I am free. Hallelujah. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. I didn't write it. He said, with the best part of what you produce, the best part of what you produce. You have not seen wealth yet. You have not seen expansion yet. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, the, the plan of God is to feed the nation through the resources that flow through his people. God wants to expand his people to the point where they are the ones that feed this nation and fill this continent. You know, when... Um, um, Pricewaterhouse's um, World Report talked about the fact that Nigeria and by 2050 could be the third biggest economy in, in the world uh, if, we, if we take the right steps. H how are we going to become the third best economy in the world if we're not the greatest producers? Whether it's uh, in, in agriculture or in mining or in technology. H how, how, how will we be the best economy if, we, if there aren't big businesses? There is money that is coming into Nigeria all the time and is looking for the right assets to put the money in, but there aren't a lot. Are you with me? God wants to expand his people to the point where they will become the conduit through which the wealth of the nation flows. That is what he did in the life of Joseph. Joseph controlled the economy of Egypt. One person controlled the economy of a nation. You have not seen wealth yet. The Bible says when you honor the Lord with your substance and with the best part of your increase. Some of you are working too hard on your own. 
You're not walking with a covenant partner. Hallelujah. You're working hard. I know it. Some of you don't come to church because I know you're working hard. Amen. And there's nothing wrong in working hard. But you know, God wants us to work with him. Amen. Oh, man. You guys are just looking at me today. Praise God. Hallelujah. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and the best part of what you produce. You know, when you, when you honor God with the best part of what you produce, you'll remember the offering. You know, there are offerings I've given that I remember till today. Are you with me? People think because I preach, I don't give. You have no idea. Yeah? When you honor God with the best part of what you produce, you will remember that offering. That is not the kind of offering just put in the offering envelope. You, you will pray over the offering at home. That is what you're meant to do with every offering. Are you with me? You stand before God and you will activate covenant. He says, honor me with the best part of what you produce. And this is how your barns will be filled with plenty. Because as 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, God is able, he has ability to cause grace to abound toward you. So that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, will abound unto every good work. God is able. Hallelujah. God is able. He said, I am able to cause grace to abound toward you. Come before me and honor me. Let your faith open the door to the grace that I already have available to you. He said, this is how your barns will be filled with plenty. And your presses will burst forth with new wine. Hallelujah. When you take out your tithes and offerings from your pay packet first, it speaks about your faith in your covenant with God. And the Lord sees that. The Lord sees that. The Lord sees that. There's nothing, there's nothing that um, escapes his sight. Your faith comes before him and your faith opens the door to grace. Everyone say, my faith opens the door. Your faith doesn't cause God to provide. God has provided. Your faith opens the door. Your faith opens the door to grace. Your faith causes your eyes to open to see what he has already provided. Your faith will open the door to that idea that will come visit you in the middle of the night. Your faith will open the door to grace. Hallelujah. To grace. And grace will work on your behalf. Let me share one more verse and I'll close. Look at Malachi chapter 1. You know, God also sees it when we dishonor him. He sees it when we dishonor him. And, and it hurts the Lord because it puts us outside the, do, outside the scope of covenant. It puts us outside the scope of covenant. Yeah? Because, you know, covenant is an offer. We accept by our obedience to him and our worship of him. But we can choose to walk away from covenant. And it hurts God because God wants to bless us. He wants to bless us. Look at Malachi chapter 1. That's why it hurts God, because God is not going to eat our offering. It is the faith, it's the value, the priority of the offering that comes up before him. Malachi chapter 1. Um, look at verse 6. I'll read, I'll read from New King James. 
It says, a son honors his father, a servant his master. If I am the father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my reverence? Now, this is not Old Testament. Because remember, this is essentially what God said to Cain. Yeah, I'm not accepting that offering from you because it doesn't honor me. Are you with me? It says, if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name. You who say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. When you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts. But now, entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably? So he's saying that, are you going to open the door to grace in your life when you are dishonoring God with your life and with your offering? Verse 10 says, who is there among you who would shut the doors so that he will not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hand. So we see here that it's not every offering that the Lord accepts. Yeah? It says, for from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it, in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food, is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you snare at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen. This is for the people that think that they can go and do a 409 outside and bring it to church and honor God with it. It says, you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Shall I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. I'll read that last part in the New Living Translation. Verse 14 says, Cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and my name is feared among the nations. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So God is a God of covenant. And after the fall of man, covenant became the way through which his grace would, would enter into the lives of people. And the covenant of God always required worship, obedience to him. The covenant of God always required the giving of offerings, which was done freely and willfully and without obligation. Because the offerings demonstrated faith in God. The offerings celebrated the fact that there was a higher, higher one um, in, 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 uh, in operation in their lives. The offering always spoke about faith. And when they gave by faith, 
and gave rejoicing. It opened the door of grace. And that grace provided for them. It shielded them. It elevated them. The covenant is available to you and I. The covenant with Abraham is an everlasting covenant. And we are in that covenant. The covenant with Jesus is an everlasting covenant. And we are in that covenant. Hallelujah. God wants us to take covenant giving seriously. Don't bucket plunk. Don't be a plunker. Don't be a plunker. That's my new word. Actually, it's not a new word, but I'm using it in a different sense. Don't be a bucket plunker. Yeah? Let us, let us, God is looking for people that will stand with him in covenant. Hallelujah. And he will express himself in our lives. There will be great honor that God will receive from it. And our lives will be, will be accelerated. And, and will exhibit the honor that God has for us. Amen.